and welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the Scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this week we're studying sections 106 through 108 in the Doctrine and Covenants. And if you're marveling at the deep, gravelly, soothing nature of my voice, it's because we're recording this episode early in the morning and haven't yet used it. And now that I'm hearing my own voice, I'm thinking maybe we should record every episode in the morning because... Because you sound so smooth. I sound so smooth and low. <laughs> I always like that, the the morning voice of like <laughs> getting, <clears throat> getting <Hello>? a phone <clears throat> call. <clears throat> Hello? No, I wasn't sleeping. No. <laughs> getting a phone call in the morning, trying to mask what your voice sounds like. But <laughs> but yeah, when you started talking, I thought, whoa, you're doing... <laughs> It does sound different. We were going to try and pretend that we weren't recording early in the morning try to try and... I was going to try and pretend. But there's no pretending when Zach has his extra deep, extra low voice. morning voice going. <laughs> oh. Well, well, welcome. We're Here excited we for this episode. Um, I think it's a really relevant study this week um, as we dive into some sections that upon first glance can be a bit difficult to read. Uh, section 107 reads kind of like a chapter from the handbook, but written, of course, in 1830s English. And so uh, it's an organizational chapter, It um, and it's not um, replete with you know, those one-line phrases that you love and highlight and put up on your fridge and that motivate you throughout the day, at least not as many of them. Um, however, I think there are some principles here uh, that help us as we interact with uh, each other in the church, and especially as we interact with our leaders, those that are called to preside over us, uh, namely prophets and apostles. I think this section can give us a lot of guidance there. And that's really what we're hoping to do with this episode, is just give you a frame of study to help you better understand the role of leaders in our lives, and maybe even in our hearts, how to feel about them and how to um, generally go about having a more peaceful relationship with leaders of all levels. Yeah. So, I, I heard this joke a couple of years ago, and I apologize in advance this is not meant at all to offend anybody. I'm going to make a statement about another religion that I myself know isn't completely accurate. And I never want to do that because, of course, we all get upset when people make statements about our religion that aren't accurate. But it's meant in humor. And um, if you're listening to this and you're Catholic or you used to be Catholic, um, please don't send me hate mail. But with that long preface, uh, the, the joke's not even that big of one. I was going to say, this is going to be a great joke <laughs> now that you've done all of that work. <laughs> it's, it's simply that Catholic doctrine is that the Pope is infallible, can't make mistakes. Mormon doctrine is that the prophets are fallible, can make mistakes, but neither membership believes their own doctrine. Insert laugh track or whatever. I was going to say, that's not that funny. It's probably actually <laughs> probably a good observation. More, more true. <laughs> well, the caveat, I know that, that uh, Catholic doctrine isn't that the Pope himself as a person is infallible. It's that papal decrees um, are infallible. And so there's a difference between those and, of course, not to get into it here. But, but the point is, I think, well made that 
we as members of our church, we know that prophets and apostles are humans. Uh, we admit it. They admit it. They're very open about it. Uh, they'll talk about their own mistakes and their growth and their understanding uh, in general conference. They'll talk about um, mistakes or, or better said, maybe corrections and growth in church positions, in church statements. Um, and so it's very clear that over the course of our history, uh, we have had prophets and apostles that have learned and grown and uh, expanded our understanding, which connotes that there's also um, imperfections in uh, previous understandings or previous declarations even. And to be fair to us, too, and I'm talking just generally the church or the Catholic church or whatever, um, that can be a really hard line. It can be a really hard line to draw of um, where that line of fallibility and infallibility comes into play. Because, and I think, too, that we do, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, we do hold the prophets and apostles to a very high standard, mm -hmm. and we want them to be perfect in everything. But I think it is really healthy to see that and to at least recognize it. And maybe that's what this discussion can do or your study this week can do, can help you do. Because I know it's just a good thing to think on. And it's been really good for me too. Yeah. So the question uh, that kind of drove us as we studied is, what do you do with really any church leaders but especially since we're studying section 107 with those church leaders who are called to preside in priesthood responsibilities. And so section 107 mentions uh, the bishop repeatedly presiding in the Aaronic priesthood. And of course, the three presidents of the Melchizedek priesthood and the 12 traveling uh, counselors, the member, uh, members of the quorum of the 12. What do you do with these leaders who we know, logically, we just know are not perfect and yet are called to responsibilities um, that are holy and sacred and for which they have a great responsibility to declare truth. How do you balance that in your own mind and heart? So to start, we wanted to discover a little bit, according to section 107, what prophets and apostles are and either directly or implied, what they are not. And I'll start with um, perhaps the most obvious and certainly one of the most foundational and fundamental. And that's found in uh, verse 23, that the 12 traveling counselors are called to be the 12 apostles or special witnesses of the name of Christ in all the world. I think that's a really significant, obviously, um, understanding of what prophets and apostles are. Uh, in that statement, it has both a calling, they are to be special witnesses of Jesus Christ, and an assignment in all the world. And uh, there's uniqueness in both of those, to be not just witnesses, but special witnesses. And there have been plenty of... Um, of comments on this by apostles and prophets themselves of what is special about their witness. Part of their special witness comes from their discipleship and their devotion to the Savior. They are witnesses of what it means to devote your life to the Savior, the benefits that come to you 
and the responsibilities that come uh, related to other people. They are, of course, special witnesses uh, of their own personal relationship to the Savior. That witness is born from experience. And they're very careful to, dis- to, to be cautious about the experiences that lead to that special witness. There have been, of course, recorded accounts of apostles or prophets seeing the Savior and having actual interaction with him, which shouldn't surprise us, of course, because Joseph Smith was the very first one of this dispensation to have those kind of experiences. But there have been others in church history that have had similar experiences. Uh, but that's not necessarily a requirement uh, but a a relationship with Christ built on discipleship from which they can testify about that experience is a requirement. And then their assignment to minister in all the world sets them apart too. Whereas, for example, a full-time missionary is called to be a witness of Christ in a specific area or location. They have an assignment, as Elder Bender taught us a couple of years ago. Prophets and apostles have an assignment to the entire world. And that that's a, a basic one. But I think it's healthy because uh, if we start there, that prophets and apostles are to be special witnesses of Christ in all the world, um, it, I think, removes some other, oh, I don't know, assignments or responsibilities we might want to put on them that the scriptures don't justify. Um, For example, uh, prophets are prophets. They're not professors. Sometimes we expect our prophets and apostles to be scriptorians. And of course, with a life devoted to discipleship, they study the scriptures. Uh, But there have been prophets and apostles that have made uh, inaccurate statements about the scriptures, that have quoted things wrong, that have taken them out of context, like we all do. And we shouldn't be upset by that because their calling isn't to be perfect scriptorians. Um, Or I'd say on the same note as that is perfect historians. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Where prophets and apostles have made... um, errors in in discussing our church history. Um, we shouldn't be upset by that because we make those mistakes and it's not required of a prophet to be a perfect historian. Not everything a prophet says has to be 100% accurate in order for them to be special witnesses of Christ. I like that geographical difference that you mentioned that I think is pretty clear in these verses and also what we believe still today as roles of prophets, apostles, and then the 70 is mentioned as well. And I think to note on that that as well, that they are also part of that, um, I don't know, I was going to say traveling, but that idea that this they have this responsibility for the whole world, that they bear witness of Jesus Christ to the whole world, and that they do I don't know, would you say travel (laughs) or that that's, um, I guess I'll take it from the scriptures here, um, that Zach already read this verse, verse 23, special witnesses of the name of Christ in all the world. Um, and then it says in verse 25 about the 70 preach the gospel and to be a special witnesses unto the Gentiles and in all the world, um, that they're given a broader responsibility than maybe a missionary like Zach mentioned, or a stake president or bishop. Well, a couple of verses later, I think it begins to, uh, or at least it hints at something prophets and apostles are not or don't have to be. In verse 30, it talks about the decision of these quorums, meaning these presiding quorums of the church, the first presidency, the quorum of the 12 and the 70. And it gives a description of what their decisions 
should be. Their decisions should be made in righteousness and holiness and lowliness of heart, meekness, long-suffering, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And if they do this, they won't be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, if they're making decisions with those uh, qualities, then uh, then their teachings are um, not unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. But it does show in verse 32 that they can make decisions that are not these things. And that's okay. They're not expected to be perfect, as we've said. Um, and when they make decisions that aren't, then there's even laid out in section 107 a way for those decisions uh, to be adjusted, um, to be corrected if needed. And I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I find that comforting. I find it comforting to me as a disciple of Christ and as a member of the church that my leaders are not perfect, that God allows them to grow and to develop and to work with me as I grow and develop. And that there's not an expectation on any of us um, to be perfect in any of our responsibilities or realms. And so I like that, uh, that, that balance of what prophets are, special witnesses, and what they're not, perfect in everything they do. And I really think that that perfection piece can be so important, not only as we look at our church leaders, um, but we talk about that a lot with ourselves as that, what, what is that perfection in our discipleship that no one, no one is perfect. That perfection word, I think can just, just kill all, (laughs) everything that we do. Um, and also the expectations that we hold up for other people. I think that if you look at many of our apostles today, um, they have been an apostle for years. And I think they would be the first to say, I'm a different person now as a human, but also as an apostle in my calling than I was 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe even 50 years ago. Have some of them been in that long? I don't know. Maybe President Nelson for sure has. Well, apostles or 70s or church responsibilities, certainly. Yeah. And so I think that I think that's an important piece to know that there's always growing and developing going on amongst our highest church leaders. And we can put that down on ourselves, too, is to know that perfection is just not something that any of us have. Yeah. Uh, in verse 33, and a couple of verses that follow after that, I love uh, another list of responsibilities or tasks that prophets and apostles are given. This is verse 33 of the 12, are a traveling presiding high council to officiate in the name of the Lord under the direction of the presidency of the church, agreeable to the institution of heaven, to build up the church and regulate all the affairs of the same in all nations, first under the Gentiles and secondly under the Jews. And then the 70 are given that same responsibility of building up the church and regulating all the affairs of the same in all nations. Uh, And then I love this one in verse 35, that the 12 are being sent out holding the keys to open the door by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love those building words to officiate, to build up, to regulate, and to open the door. Um, as uh, President Nelson has been a great example of this, uh, his travels throughout the world and his ministry, not just as president of the church, but as an apostle um, and just as a disciple of Christ before that, um, shows that the responsibility that comes to um, with the apostleship is one to travel and to build 
up the church and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that opens doors for other people to have access to it. Um, and I love the image that the current apostles and prophets have that, in my mind at least, so uh, closely resembles the encouragement and mandates that Jesus gave his early apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to open places up for the testimony of Jesus Christ to grow. Um, I think... <laughs> I think sometimes, especially living in the United States, and uh, if you're living on the Wasatch Front in, in highly densely populated areas where there's lots of members of the church, we can get overly expectant that everything prophets and apostles say is focused on our situations as um, you know, members of the church in a first world country in the United States or in a a highly populated um, LDS area. And uh, and so we take their comments and we apply them to us as we can do. But I think it's healthy to remember that they have responsibility to spread the gospel, to open the door for the gospel in all the world. And a lot of their work is done and focused on people in other countries and other parts of the world that are struggling with different things than we are. And so we might read or listen to something that a prophet says uh, and and maybe if we don't understand the context in which it was given or what's going on in in, uh, in their minds as they give it, uh, we might stretch or shrink something they say inappropriately. And maybe if I can just add one small comment onto this, I think there's, uh, and this might be a bit of a stretch, but um, verse 55, at the end of this narrative of Adam and his posterity, it says, the Lord administered comfort unto Adam and said to him, I have set thee to be at the head. A multitude of nations shall come of thee, and thou art a prince over them forever. And I paused at the word comfort and thought, what is it that the Lord is comforting Adam? Uh, or why is the Lord comforting him? Why does a prophet need comfort from the Lord? And uh, I don't have an answer to that, but one thought is as these uh, prophets and apostles are traveling and ministering in all the world as they're building up and officiating and regulating, um, some of those words, I think, uh, convey some some discomfort. It's, it's hard work to build up something that has never been built up before, to open doors and to expand people's minds. And I wonder just what kind of where that uh, gives to um, a prophet or an apostle. And, um, and so I just thought, what a, what a humbling admission here that the Lord comforts Adam. And I'm sure and confident that provides that same comfort to uh, these leaders who have a heavy responsibility, a lifetime calling to minister to the entire world, <laughs> which is no small task. And so uh, the, the, what a prophet isn't here is I don't think a prophet is always comfortable, um, which I think, again, goes with just being human and uh, is sometimes in need of comfort. So this is meaning that they are not always comfortable in their calling or the things that they say are not always comfortable for us. Well, I meant the first one. I think the second one is true. Where, of course, we have plenty of experiences where uh, we feel discomfort at what prophets and apostles say, either because something in us needs to change or we misunderstand what's being said 
um, or they're pushing against something that's established. Uh, you know, they're as builders, as regulators and officiators, they're trying to organize something that's maybe a little bit out of order. And when you're trying to do that, it creates discomfort. Discomfort isn't bad. It's just a sign that something needs to change. Um, so I think that's definitely true. I was being mostly the first one that uh, being a prophet and apostle cannot be a comfortable calling. Uh, we look at them probably the way we look at CEOs of businesses, like, oh, they must be the most comfortable and the most wealthy because, of, and they're not. They've got a lifelong calling that I'm sure puts a lot of wear and tear uh, on them, on their minds and hearts and certainly bodies. And I think that can be an important thing for us to remember as we kind of seek to understand exactly what we're studying today is what a prophet is and what they aren't. And I guess just the verse to end our discover about this, and I'll be excited to see what many of you come up with in your study um, but just what we always say that, um, verse 92, behold, here is wisdom, yea, to be a seer, a revelator, a translator, and a prophet, having all the gifts of God, which he bestows upon the head of this church. Um, I think that we are very blessed today to have prophets and apostles who, who can help us. And maybe it's not comfortable for them. It's not a comfortable for, position for them. And sometimes it can not be comfortable for us as we try and learn to understand, um, our own personal relationship with God and also um, what's best for the church and what prophets and apostles are telling us. So that kind of leads us into this week's invest question is what can I do to uphold or maybe what we more often say today is sustain my leaders. And that comes from um, verse 22 of section 107, where it says of the Melchizedek priesthood, three presiding high priests, which referring to the first presidency, chosen by the body, appointed and ordained to that office, and upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the church, form a quorum of the presidency of the church. And we really liked that word uphold. Well, I guess they used upheld in this case, but the idea of upholding um, the office, what can I do to uphold what they are doing to sustain them? And maybe just to think of that in a different way of sustain or uphold or any other words that are similar to that, um, I think can be maybe a new outlook on what you can do personally or what we can do personally to um, understand better their role. Well, we, I think we're so, especially again in, in the Western world, we're so politically charged where we feel a need to critique and criticize everything that comes from anybody and I often wonder, what would the world look like if we just stopped trying to tear each other down? We're not going to agree with everything we say to each other. That's just human nature. We're not going to understand each other perfectly. Uh, there's going to be miscommunications. Uh, but if instead of trying to find those differences and those problems, instead of trying to find the cracks and to spread them out, I wonder what it would look like if we sought rather to uphold each other. I love the idea that you're saying that prophets uh, need to be upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the church. That we have a responsibility to uphold our leaders. And uh, at least in some small part, maybe in a large part, their calling requires it. That if we don't do our job in upholding our leaders, they may be hampered in their ability to do their job in being special witnesses of Christ to build up the kingdom of God in all the world. 
And that interconnectedness fascinates me and, uh, and motivates me to better uphold. And so I, I think it's such a good question. What can I do to uphold leaders? In fact, to better connect to God, uh, something really practical that came to me as I studied this week, this actually comes from section 108. Um, Lyman Sherman comes to the prophet uh, and I love the promise that's given to him. Your sins are forgiven you because you have obeyed my voice in coming up hither this morning to receive counsel of him whom I have appointed. That could be applied to all of us. And what a great promise that our sins can be forgiven as we come to seek counsel from those that have been appointed uh, to give us that counsel. But then I love the challenge given to him in verse 3. Arise up and be more careful henceforth in observing your vows, which you have made and do make, and you shall be blessed with exceeding great blessings. Um, in section 107, it describes Seth as a perfect man. Um, and there's a talk by President Nelson we'll put in our show notes um, called Perfection Pending. It's from, I think it's 25 years ago. It was 95. And in that, he talks about mortal perfection. That, of course, we cannot be eternally perfect in this life. But he does say we can be perfect in some things. And he mentions, for example, a baseball pitcher can throw a no-hitter, right? Can have a perfect game. Similarly, we could be perfect in paying tithing. Um, there have been, I think, people that have been able to become perfectly honest. And as I merge those two ideas of being more careful in our vows, especially the vows we have made to uphold and sustain our church leaders, we raise our hands to sustain them, which means we've made a promise to do that. I thought, what if our uh, action this week could be to be perfect in being careful in the vows that we have made. Um, we may not be perfect in following everything they say. We may not have a perfect understanding or even a perfect comfortability or agreement with everything they say, but we can be perfect in being careful in how we treat prophets and apostles. Um, you and I listened to a podcast episode this week from the Faith Matters Foundation from Terrell and Fiona Givens. They weren't on it, but... Um, this episode was uh, about Elder Holland's address that he gave at BYU to faculty and administrators there. Uh, and that talk, uh, for some people, caused a lot of turmoil and difficulty because of some of the things that Elder Holland said. Uh, I, the reason I mention this podcast is because I was so appreciative of how careful they had on Tom Christofferson and Patrick Mason. And as they were discussing this situation, which is wrought with uh, tricky places and, and, uh, and caution and difficult questions, they were just so kind and careful in how they treated Elder Hall. And I just thought it was a very Christian and charitable way to treat another human being. And so I think for all of us, that can be something we could be perfect in. Again, not perfect understanding or perfect obedience, but perfectly careful in how we treat anybody, let alone our leaders. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for studying with us. We'll see you next time.